Hey, everybody, and welcome to Punk Till I Die number 27. We're back to uh, just Neil and I just kind of riffing on some stuff. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing okay, thanks. How are you? It's uh, it's weird, right? Because we're recording this on a Saturday, but yes. all, the days are, all the days are just fucking blurring together. It, it doesn't matter, right? There's no difference between one day to the no, next. There really isn't. Um, and I was going to say, how are you? So we're a couple weeks into this COVID-19 lockdown thing now. And uh, how are you uh, holding up and how are you, are you adjusting to, you know, prison life? Well, it is weird because <clears throat> I'm un- unlike you. I mean, you've got a big family over there and I'm actually solo over here most of the time. So yeah. it is a little strange. I mean, I don't mind my own company. I never did. But uh, it is odd day after day. You know, and I, I do make it out. But uh, see my daughter and stuff. But I, it is weird being, you know, alone all day. You know, just dealing with people at work and stuff and dealing with work emergencies and shit like that. But uh, yeah, just staring at this screen all day, staring at my Amy Winehouse poster. It's uh, it's interesting. How about you? Well, that ain't punk, Neil. That ain't punk at all. No. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently I've been uh, I've been yelled at about uh, about liking Amy Winehouse. So there you uh, go. So yeah, it's it's funny, man, because I'm, you know, I, I've, my, I'm trying to have the right attitude about this thing. So I'm working from home every other week, at least till May, at least another month. Um, and I, there's not a whole lot that I can do from home. So I'm more or less being paid to stay home every other week, but not, not exactly. I got to keep myself healthy and I have to be available if, if we need the manpower. Basically we split our crew so that, you know, everybody doesn't get sick at once, which I think is a prudent, a prudent decision. Yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. But, um, I had to look at this as a gift, you know, I, I, I'm not as like a, a drudgery, but I had to get some stuff done to be productive. And I you know my wife is totally out of work and she's getting so much stuff done. And I, and, uh, I just, I need to, so for example, my, my pillow fortress of solitude is now pink. <laughs> it's not she painted. painted the room and she's saying, well, it's not really pink, but it, it's pink, dude. My, my fortress of solitude is now pink. Dude, you're in a pink room. What the yeah, hell is going on? Yeah, and she's repainted like the whole the whole house almost, and then everything looks nice. Like the house is going to look better than it has in, in years. Wow. Um, and you know, I've I've actually, you know, I, I wrote a couple of reviews. I hadn't written a review for well over a month, and I've actually, so I've had time to do that stuff. I've listened to a ton of records. Uh, I did a puzzle yesterday. We did a puzzle. I mean, I probably haven't done a puzzle since like 1985. Dude, this might be the most suburban thing I've ever heard. What yeah, the yeah. Hell? yeah. <laughs> But you know the thing I realized too, Neil. You know I'm a big punk and hardcore music guy for the most part, but it makes me realize how I need more records that I can like listen to with the whole family. <laughs> that the whole family enjoys. So I listened to yesterday. I listened to it's alive twice, all the way through. You know, did the family got, enjoy it? I just got a new copy for uh, the new vinyl, red and blue, from um, our friends at at the record farm. Um, I listened to Road to Ruin. I listened to, uh, I don't remember all what we listened to. I listened to Willie Nelson. I listened to this great country punk band from Virginia called Gallows Bound. So anyway, it's, it's, it's been cool. I've been listening to a lot of music and I've been, you know, it's, I I don't know. I I need to get some actual crap done when you, when you run a house, (laughs) like I do, you tend to get behind in like maintenance type stuff, you know, just because. You'd rather not do that. You'd rather do anything else. Well, it so. sounds like your wife's doing most of it, man. She is. She's, <laughs> that's she's, pretty cool. She's good like that. Yeah, that's she, cool. And now she's she's starting to get stir crazy. She's actually like trying to book a vacation for the whole family in November or something. So. Well, let's hope that that works out, huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, who knows how long this is going to last? Uh, so, well, and the other thing everybody's been doing, and and I think this is kind of a intro to what we're going to wrap about today is everybody's 
been on social media a ton, right? Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Everybody's on Facebook constantly, so, dude. Speaking of, uh, Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook. Give us a like. Check us out. We do a little bit of bonus material over there. And one of the big things that's been going around is this, you know, bands I've seen A to Z. And you and I both had quite a bit of fun with it. And we both were, of course, able to get every letter because we're, you know. Old and we've seen a lot of bands. Our, yeah. Well wasted our lives on this stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was kind of fun, you know. Some of our some of our more uh, regular contributors and readers chimed in about their their A to Z list. So uh, it's it's actually I've enjoyed it, and and then I actually made one of A to Z the bands that I missed, which sort of made me sad, you know. X Ray Specs, and I haven't seen the Zero Boys, and some of these other some of these other bands, especially in the lower letters of the alphabet, but like Angry Samoans, I never saw. So so anyway, it's it's a goal. Some of them are gone forever, and I'll never get a chance to see them. But some of them, you know, there's still hope. Hope springs eternal, right? Right, on some of them for sure. You know, and I was happy to see that some of the ones you'd missed. I actually have some of those on my list, so that was yep. pretty good. Well, yeah. and our you know our de- because we're a decade apart in age, you know, obviously it's a little different. Mine's '90s heavy, yours is '80s heavy. 70s and 80s yeah but you know yeah same and you know we've but we both it's it's actually pretty interesting the 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 a to z and everything else so actually we're so so the plan is and this might last us i don't know how long this will take and we're we're supposed to have a guest episode 28 supposed to have a guest we're not going to announce it because i don't know just feels like there's a reasonable chance that it falls apart so we'll, we'll wait and go ahead and let it be a surprise yeah. to people. it'll be a good one though if we get it <laughs> hopefully yeah be. yeah and uh, i i think you know, going forward, we're going to have, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we can have a guest every other week, but, um, you know, I think that would be optimal or, or somewhere in that range. So well, especially, you know, if get, especially if we can get cool people and it seems like we've had pretty good luck with getting some pretty cool people so far. So. Well, yeah. And, and I, th- and I think it's good too, that it's, uh, introducing not only me, I mean, I'd never, like, for example, last week, I'd never really heard the lippies until you, until you brought them up. And now mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I did. So hopefully it's introducing the listeners to some of these uh, new bands too. Cause yeah. you know, that's one of the things about getting people that aren't like super world famous is that, you know, you might get to check out some new bands, right? You know, from... not super world famous, also known as those who are available to us. <laughs> yes, well, that was just that was just me putting a positive spin on it, right? But uh, well, actually, yeah. I think I mean I think we've kind of gone over our heads as far as the size of our show compared to our guests. I think we've been able to go over our heads a little bit, and uh, we got and and you know and like I said, you know, we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this while we we're recording, but we've talked about this personally. But the biggest names are not always going to be the most interesting people. I mean, right? Some of the big names are horrible interviews, right? Yeah, I mean, don't get no me doubt. Wrong. I'd I'd love to have Jello Biafra, but the fact of the matter is, if the Todd Evans number twenty two was off the hook, Jello's worse. You know, Jello just takes over. You know, it's like you have Jello on, you're basically getting a one hour Jello lecture. You know, right? Yeah, and I don't I don't think we're on Jello's radar, but we'd love to we'd love to have you on, Jello. I'd like to take you to task for some of your political lameness in the last decade because it used to be so great. <laughs> okay. This has gone in a strange direction already, but okay, <laughs> pulling right. it pulling it right back. So, exactly. um, so anyway, do... yeah, Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook, and of course the email, uh, Punk Till I Die seventy seven at a Gmail. Gmail is how you get a hold of us. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, we when we first started, we're like, oh, we're gonna run out stuff to talk about. We're gonna run out stuff to talk about, and then once we got going, it became clear that we could talk for hours about anything and never run anything to talk about. That's very true, but. 
now that we can't leave our houses anymore, it does seem to be actually more of a challenge. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, talk about our adventures and yeah, because we because we can't you know. talk about yeah, we can't talk about going to gigs and stuff like that. But we can talk about gigs we've been to, which is That's exactly true. what we're which going we to do today. A year. Yes. Um, well, and the, the fact matter is, you know, going out and hitting the record stores and finding some stuff is just more exciting than, hey, you know, another package showed up on my porch today. I mean, it's sort of <laughs> part of record collecting is the thrill of the hunt. And I love Discogs and I use it all the time, but it sort of ruins that element of it, you know. Yeah, it's it does. Uh, I mean, that's that's true. I guess. through the records, going, oh man, look at this, you know. But but well, I tell you though, the one thing it does is um you might you might forget a band that you were looking for a record for or something like that and then and it just happens to show up or something or i don't know it i've been finding stuff on there that if i was in a record store i never would have looked for kind of thing well so, and it makes but it also makes you feel very small and realize how much stuff you're missing more than how much you have oh that's that's very true yeah yeah i mean some of these i've been to some of these record stores where i've been like man i have more good records than this record store yeah, well, I, again, that's another reason why Discogs is great, right? Because I might be yeah. looking at, oh, Susie and the Banshees, that's the first single, Hong Kong Garden. Yeah, great, got it. But then I see, oh, shit, look at that Japanese Look at that Japanese version of it. Uh, it's got a completely different picture sleeve that looks like it was drawn by, like, a dyslexic five-year-old. I need that kind of thing. So, yeah. So Discogs is interesting. If you want to do a really deep dive into stuff, and for those who don't know what we're talking about, because there might be some people who have no idea what the hell we're talking about. Right, so dis- I'm gonna say that the vast majority of our listeners know what Discogs is because they're a bunch of old geezers, and uh, well, yeah, not all, but well, yeah, but dude, a lot of old geezers don't aren't technologically savvy. Yeah, so, so Discogs is well, Discogs take, take is for a, example the 46 year old you're talking to right now. <laughs> yeah, but at least you know what Discogs is. Discogs. I, mean, I know is, how to use a cell phone a little bit, but yeah. You know. <laughs> Discogs is an online website, which is basically for buying and selling or put your collection up there or whatever you want. And because it's from people all over the world, I mean, you basically throw anything in there and you'll be able to find someone that's selling it. Right. So um, and then there'll be different, you know, all the different versions, all the different colored vinyl versions, all the versions from different countries. I mean, it's a really amazing online database of all this stuff, you know, with the ability to buy and sell from different stores and people all over the world so it's uh it's a it's a dream and a nightmare wrapped up into one it is it really is so um and it's and, funny because i mean everybody's like I remember a few months ago everybody's like oh disney plus everybody everybody's getting disney plus and you know we've got disney plus i must admit i'm the only one who watches it i just watch simpsons reruns but we got disney plus but i'm like yeah disney plus is great but have you ever seen discog yeah i literally <laughs> just sit there for hours like a, like it's like my number one time killer yeah i think yeah. And I can't really afford to buy everything I want. So I, I, it's more like, you know, 10 hours shopping for everything I buy. But I really know what I want. You know, and I always, you know, we, you know, find the buyers. It's got three or four things I want so I can combine shipping and. Well, blah, and, blah, blah. Um, and, and one of the things I find most useful, I mean, I put my entire collection up there and it took me a long time to do it. Right. And yeah, be like, yeah, hey, why the hell did you bother to do that? do that? Well, I'll tell you where it comes in useful. If you do go to a record store and you find something and you you're like, hey, hold on. Oh, yeah, hold on. Do I already have that? At least now yeah. I can pull up Discogs and see, oh, yeah, I actually do. I actually I've do more than once bought duplicate of something, no question. Yeah, so it's it's actually useful for that anyway. But, uh, well, we got off topic very, very easily. All right. So, so yeah, so so what we're going to do is we're going to – so the, the thing on Facebook was A to Z bands you've seen. So we are going to go through – and I when I did my list, I sort of cheated and did, like, multiple at every letter. Show up. But I am going to force myself to pick <laughs> one, and then we're going to maybe – if we have a little story to go along with it, we're going to talk about that. And then 
play some songs from some of those artists. So you wanna you wanna start with why don't you start with A Neil and then I'll bounce over to my A because I'm gonna play the song. So okay, what's what's your A? My and A. It, once again, this is a combination of. You know, I'm kind of going out of my way to pick ones that I sort of have a cool story to go with, even though A, I really don't. But um, there's so many great A bands. Yeah. So um, my my A was uh, Adam and the Ants. Okay. And um, so I, I've seen I've seen Adam Ants, Adam and the Ants, uh, numerous times actually. But uh, including just recently, right? Yeah, and actually that was the one that, that was the one I was going to talk a little bit about because it was a cool night it was last summer in chicago um june july somewhere like that so it was really warm out it was gorgeous and the funny thing was on that same day or late uh afternoon um nick 13 from tiger army was doing a he had a he had his own model of gretch come out and hmm. so he was at chicago music exchange doing like a little introduction for his uh for his gretch model and that was at like five o'clock, something like that, on a Saturday. It's a, a hollow body guitar for you people yep. who have no idea what Neil's talking about. Yeah, very beautiful guitar. So uh, we went over there and saw uh, Nick Thirteen um, do his little spiel. He played a, a couple of songs in the store and his guitar, and he did a meet and greet afterwards. So he got a poster and stuff like that, and got his signature. Um, Nick Thirteen's from Tiger Army, one of my favorite psychobilly yep. bands. But he also has a solo country record too. Um, but anyway, so right after that. We left there and went straight to um, the Vic to see Adam and the Ants, and uh, that was amazing. Um, for, considering how old he is, <clears throat> he must be 62, 63 years old, he played for close to two hours hmm. and did uh, all his hits, obviously. Um, I think he was... Both, yeah, his, both his hits? Oh, no, he had a shit ton of hits. At least in England he did. I mean, he was number yeah, one I, for I only like, like two years. So I, I do like his early stuff, I must say, but I don't really don't know a ton of the songs. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it, it was one of those uh, shows where he did a full album, which was the first half of the set, and then like, Kings of the Wild Frontier, I think. And then um, the second half of the set was just a combination of, of, uh, of his hits, but then he also did a lot of really early stuff like b-sides and shit like that and uh stuff going back to 76 and 77 so um super energetic just a super great show so that was uh, hmm. that, that was my a so that's do- see that's an interesting choice um because he's definitely i mean i guess you know the old folks would call him a punk rocker but he definitely is more of a new waver in my at least in my estimation by the time he was having hits when i was a kid i definitely think of adam Ant as a new wave guy yeah he definitely he definitely became and he became just like a pop sensation for a while there and the audience was really interesting i mean it was, I love, a, it was a combination no, it was a combination of like mtv kids from the 80s mm-hmm. and then some hardcore like old school adam and the ants fans and mm-hmm. i don't know it was just a really interesting crowd i love those old pictures of him like from the before he kind of went pop where he looks like he's dressed like a, an indian or something and he's got like these bone vests and like these weird faces all painted up and all that well, it's yeah, I mean, he had, yeah, he went through so many like different, uh, different images and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna pick for my A's, and this is tough because, like I said, there's a, actually a ton of great A bands, and I've seen a lot of the old punk A bands, but actually, I'm gonna go with Adolescence, and because for years they were a bucket list band for me, and I only got to see them a few years ago for the very first time, because what happens when you're out here in Middle America, like Neil and I are, bands can't really afford to tour anymore. Um, you know, a band like Adolescence is going to have a hard time doing a major nationwide tour. I mean, they might hit Chicago on a Tuesday or something, but, but a few years ago, 
the warp tour, which I, I know you probably have disdain for the warp tour. And the fact of the matter is I do too, but did like a throwback stage and mm. I can't remember what it was called, but they actually had a really cool, like old man throwback stage. And I was, um, I was able to get all credentialed through punk news. So I, I covered it. I wrote about it. So it's floating around out there somewhere through punk news, my warp tour <laughs> 2000, I don't know, whatever, 16 or whatever it was. But it was actually cool for a couple of reasons because a that stage had a bunch of great bands, but it's less than optimal, right? Because it's daytime, right? Yeah, and it's outside, and but there was this old man stage, and it was there wasn't a ton of people around it, so you actually could get up pretty close, and a lot of the bands were really good. Now was this Detroit and or where? where about it was in Auburn Hills, uh, okay. which is, I mean, it's Detroit-ish, but it's yeah, it's close to an hour from Detroit. But you you know, an outsider would call it Detroit. I guess. Gotcha. And it was there was a, another cool thing about it was so I got all my punk news credentials right, but also I brought my daughter who was probably I don't think she was old enough to drive at the time maybe like fifteen or something. She was she was able to be credentialed as a photographer. Oh, cool! So you know my kids have always watched dad do all this stupid punk rock stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think most of the time they just kind of roll their eyes. But once in a while I'm able to do something cool that sort of makes things hey you know my dad's not that much of a douche so um yeah she was actually the photographer so she got to go inside the fence for the first two songs of every band to take pictures huh and she you know of course there's all these people with like their big gear and all that and she's using her iphone i was gonna say does she have like a real camera (laughs) (laughs) but it was but it was pretty it was a pretty cool experience for both of us we we went to one more after that i think it was the last year they did the touring one we went again, but there were literally no good bands. It was awful. And uh, I think she had a couple of bands she enjoyed. She did. I remember she did because she got some record signs and stuff. But um, that was it. That was actually in Tinley Park in the Chicago suburbs. Um, but so we actually, we actually had a real nice time, and I finally got to see the adolescents, and they were really good, actually. And Steve Soto was still around at that point. So yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask at that point who was still in the adolescence. That well, we the back original in the singer Tony, of course, and Steve Soto. Now it's just Tony the singer, I think. <clears throat> but you know, funny thing about the adolescence, you know, that blue album that came out in like 1981 or whatever is is a stone cold punk classic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is like 100 beginner stuff, right? Yep. Everybody should know that record. Yep. But I've been listening to Spotify a bit at work, and every now and then a song will kick up and i'm like man this is cool who is this i don't recognize it until i'll you know turn my phone on check who it is and twice now it's been different adolescent songs from like 2018 2016 so i think i'm actually been kind of doing myself a disservice by not trying to dig into that later adolescence catalog so i'm actually going to try to do that especially now that you know i have time on my hands so so remind me so the original band it was the ag news right yep yep and Steve and Casey, Casey Royer, I think, playing drums, right? Casey From, Royer, yeah. Who, who would go on to front DI? Yeah, um, <clears throat> who were, played uh, drums in Social D for a while, I believe. Did he? Yeah, could <laughs> but, be those. Those, I think those. Uh, you know, those Agent Orange and Social D and uh, Adolescents were like the three Orange County bands. Yeah, which those of us who aren't from LA kind of assume that it was, you know, LA. What's LA? It's one city, right? But it's so big, I think. That like those OC beach communities, I think it's like more than an hour from like what we call the OC to Los Angeles. So they actually had their own little scene there, right? And they all played in each other's bands over the years mm-hmm. in the early days. Yeah. So because one of the Agnews was one of the Agnews. I mean, was it Soto or who played on the first Agent Orange record? It might have been Soto, I think. Yeah, Steve yeah. Soto. 
So he's who was a great songwriter in his own right. Had a lot of health problems later in life. When he died, it was not shocking. He did not look good at World Tour. I mean, he must have been 400 pounds at least. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. And uh, but yeah, but you know, great, great songwriter and by all accounts, uh, a really good dude, solid dude. So, so let's play. It, it's it was actually real difficult to pick an adolescent song because that blue album is 13 songs or whatever, and pretty much every one of them is great. So we're gonna do the song "Wrecking Crew," which is about their group of friends or something, right? You know the background of that song? I know there's a background of that song. Um, I believe so. And the funny thing is, the Meteors actually had a song called "Wrecking Crew," so I always mm. had a soft spot for the for both of those songs, actually. But yeah, I think that's exactly what it's about. Him and his uh, the, them and their gang of friends or whatever. They probably used <laughs> to get beat up all the time for being punks, and uh, so yeah, you had to you had to get together and get a gang together, right? There you go. Yeah. As opposed to now, where we're all just <laughs> lonely souls trapped out in our own houses, <laughs> we have we have online chats that are our gangs now, right, Neil? Exactly right. Yeah. All right. So yeah. this is this is from the the blue album, the self titled Adolescence record, which, like I said, this is punk rock, you know, one hundred and one type stuff. That that if you're kind of brand new for whatever reason, and you found us, and you haven't really got into punk rock at all, you gotta you gotta check out the blue album, the self titled Adolescence album. So this is uh, the wrecking our wrecking crew. Fantastic song there, Wrecking Crew by the Adolescents. So when you saw them, did they do mainly uh, Blue Album stuff, or did they do a mix of uh, I'd stuff? I'd say about half, about half oh. and half. Okay. And a few new songs, but like I said, they were pretty decent. It's funny, because Tony the singer, like I said, the only original guy left from the very, very original lineup, which is 40 years ago now, in fairness, um, he sort of comes off like a hippie type. 
he's still got the long hair and he's like barefoot. Oh, he, yeah, yeah that's, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not for that. Well, you gotta, you gotta remember, Neil, I mean, you came from, yeah, you came from, you know, cloudy England, boot wearing England, but these guys were beach kids, you know? True enough. True enough, I guess so. But it's not like he was on the beach. He was on a stage in dusty old Detroit. He was on a. He was in a mile of concrete in, yeah. uh, you know, a square mile of concrete in suburban Detroit. Yes. Yeah. But um, so you want me to go first with B because you're gonna play a B song, right? Yeah, yeah. You do your B. So this was this is another tough one because I did see the Beastie Boys in their prime, and I saw Black Sabbath with the original lineup and like a crappy version of Black Flag. But the one I actually want to pick is the Butthole Surfers. Remember the butthole surfers, I'm sure. Yes, I remember the butthole Such surfers. Such a weird, drug-addled mess of a band. But their early stuff was so great and psychedelic, and they were just such weirdos, you know? I mean, their music was not, like, traditional Ramon-style punk but by any stretch of the imagination. But if you remember in the early 90s when we kind of had our, like, punk alternative revival, mid-90s maybe, all these punk bands were getting signed to major labels. Yeah. And very few of them really, I think, paid off for the labels i mean there was you know there's always the offspring in green day but that that's that's the rare air right um so i actually saw the butthole surfers at an outside venue up northern up in northern michigan which is closed now called valdu lakes and the weird thing about it was it was a couple things that were weird about it it was like a little it's like a kind of a dumpy town near like a nice resort area and the opener was an up-and-coming band that nobody had heard of yet called Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, shit. Yeah, open for the butthole service. Can you imagine? Uh-huh. This is like the time they had that radio hit, which was called Pepper. You remember that song? No, I don't don't know that song. It was off your radar. But anyway, yeah. it, it was a catchy enough song, but it was not hardly a hardly a punk song. So, yeah, I got to see the butthole servers play in this outdoor venue, which probably held 10,000 people. I mean, there was probably like 2,000 people there. Hmm. But it was it was actually really cool. <laughs> And the so I talk about weirdness, right? So you remember Norm from Cheers, of course, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. So his I, he married a woman, I think, from Michigan or something, or he had somehow he had like a cabin or something up in that part of northern Michigan. Now Norm was the fat guy, or Norm was the little, yeah he was the, the he was the yeah the fat guy, not the mailman. He's yeah. from Chicago, I believe, right? Norm. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have I have no idea. Well, that would make sense because yep. a lot of Chicago people actually have homes along lake michigan into michigan because it's not that far obviously they sure do yeah yeah um so so he was standing on the side of the stage when the butthole surfers played i always took that as sort of bizarre so yeah butthole surfers get my b they're they're long gone now they were but man like locus abortion technician brown reason to live they had some really great very challenging records challenging uh, I e. you wouldn't want to listen to them. Is that, is that well, you, <laughs> you know, I think it would help if you were on the same drugs that they were when they recorded it. Now they're from Texas, right? They were from Texas originally, I believe. Yeah. Boy, you're, I, I actually listened to like an entire podcast about the Butthole Servers. They are a fascinating group of junkies. So, <laughs> and they you know, just did everything they could do to sabotage their own career, even though they had a couple of hits and. <clears throat> Had some success. So, yeah. Anyway, like I said, I've seen a lot of great B-bands, too, as with A's, but I think that was more the kind of one of the more unique experiences. So, All right. There's your B. Who's your B? My B is the first band I ever saw live, uh, uh, which was Buzzcocks. Um, can't go wrong with that. My favorite band of all time, probably, um, still. 
even though that probably changes by the week, but they were the first band I ever saw live. This is, we're talking October 1978. Um, and I remember that very, I remember that very well. I was really settling into my kindergarten class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was 15 years old. Um, they played the Liverpool empire. Still got the ticket. Um, I was scared shitless when I got dropped off outside. All these like, cause you I was no th- friend. You couldn't convince a friend to come with you. No, I did. I, I there was two kids from school went who were both younger than me. Actually. Um, mm-hmm. they were like the year below me at school and this was before I'd cut my hair or anything like that. So I still had like fucking Ramon's bowl cut at this point and stuff <laughs> like that. So, um, I'm getting dropped off outside the Liverpool Empire with all these like punk rockers acting like crazy shit outside. And my dad's like, are you sure you want to go to this? And I'm like, yeah, I think I do. Oh, there's my friends. So so my couple of buddies and uh, we went in, went up in the upper circles. It was like two pounds or like one pound 50 or something like that. And um, But you when, didn't have a job. Did your parents pay for it? Um, no, I probably paid for it with pocket money. Like I said, two pounds was not okay. not very much, right? So, um, Isn't that like $1,000 now, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, it would have been worth a thousand dollars to me. Let me tell you. The but, memory is right. Yeah. yeah I, I, seriously, I, it was one of those. Yeah, it, cue the it, Hallmark it, moment music. Well, people always say, you know, oh, life changing experience. But I'll tell you, that really was because mm-hmm. up until then, I'd been kind of a, a nerdy kid at school and stuff like that. And this made me realize that there was a whole other world out there, out beyond like books and school and shit like that. Right. So I came out of there. Actually, I did almost like a changed person. So. Um, thanks. Thanks a lot, Buzzcocks. Yeah, went on to like cure COVID nineteen or be a top scientist, but no, he found the Buzzcocks, and now he's just a ne'er do well. Yeah, sitting in an apartment alone in Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> um, cats. Yeah, <laughs> and a shit ton of punk rock memorabilia that and nobody cares about. Cat this smell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, no, but dude, uh, so the Buzzcocks, they would they had just released a uh, Love Bites, the second album had just come out. Okay. So I think it was called the Beating Hearts Tour or something like that. So yeah. um, I mean, it was classic Buzzcocks, right? It was absolutely classic. And warming up was Subway Sect, who were another one of those first wave, kind of oh, weird new, British yeah. punky bands, but uh, more almost jazzy. Oh, um, really? Sounds awful. No, I mean, I mean, they're they're held in very high regard. I think Adam. No, I know won. you played a Two Way Army song at some point. I think no, no, not Two Way Army, Subway Sect, buddy. Oh, Subway Sack. Subway Sack. Subway yeah. Sack, Two Way yeah. Army, whatever, man. <laughs> Subway, Two Way. Okay. Um. So. <laughs> so yeah. So the Buzzcocks played. They played all. The, all obviously all their. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, all every song bites. they had at that point was good. I mean, it they, wasn't yeah. Like their... Exactly. They played all the singles. They played all of Love Bites. They played most of. Uh, um. Another music and um. I remember the um. At the end of the show, before they went off, do you know the song ESP off Love Bites? I do not. It just starts. It, it's, it's, it's it just starts with a with a single like guitar line, and um and ends with it too. And so Steve Diggle just playing that guitar line, and one by one the rest of the band walked off the stage. And I just thought it was the coolest thing, which is Steve Diggle left on the st- on the stage playing that one guitar line over and over again. And, Ironically, uh, he's uh, still able to do that. Yeah. But <laughs> boom! Yeah, he's still playing that the same guitar line but anyway yeah so i came out of there and life-changing and within a week i got my hair cut and um then went on the uh, on the hunt for um straight leg pants because believe it or not 1978 finding straight legs was really fucking difficult 
Really? Yeah, everywhere was flares. Everywhere you went, you, all Ugh. you could buy was flares and stuff. That's so, the worst. yeah, finding finding straights was actually really hard. So, and but man, if you had straights and even relatively short hair, oh, you were a punk rocker. People, people, knew, people, huh? people were going to beat you up on the street. Oh, I was going to say people knew there was a certain camaraderie on that. Well, yeah, so I mean, I, I have two things to, two things to say about this. A, yeah, yeah. I'm sad to report that I only saw the Buzzcocks one time. And it was at Riot Fest in Chicago in a big field, and they only got to play for a half hour. That's so I never really had a great Buzzcocks experience. But you know, we've talked about Pete Shelley died. He was the one who sang the best Buzzcocks songs. He wrote the best songs too. Steve Diggle is keeping the band going. He's got to still sing those Pete Shelley songs, right? I mean, you'd be pissed if you went saw the Buzzcocks and they didn't play, you know. Orgasmatic or ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't or something like that, right? Dude, if they just played the Steve Diggle songs, everybody would leave. No disrespect, Steve, but Pete had the Pete wrote the classics. Sorry, buddy. Yes. So, so how do you how do you uh, pick one to play? What's what's the what's the classic you choose to play? Um, it's probably okay. So, um, I went out at the time, obviously, and I think I put all my Buzzcock singles collection up on the up on the. A Facebook page, so you can yes, see all my original singles. Yes. So buying them was difficult because finding them in picture sleeve was hard. Because mm. oftentimes, you know, they'd only have so many of the picture sleeve, and then you would just buy it in a generic sleeve. So um, collecting them all in the picture sleeves was difficult. But my so favorite you early, you had to get them all early. Exactly, exactly. We'll find a record store that still had, you know, the men picture sleeve. So oftentimes you go to the record store. Oh, do you have the Buzzcocks? Love you more. Yeah, I do. And they'd pull it out, and you'd be like, Oh, not in picture sleeve, oh, and then walk out. I always wonder why that. Well, like on disc guys, you'll see sometimes the seven inches will be in a, the forty fives, the singles, whatever you want to call them, will be in plain white picture sleeves. And I always just like, why did you wreck the sleeve, you stupid idiot? But maybe that's. I, mean, I didn't really take that into account. Oh yeah, I mean they would only do maybe like five thousand or ten thousand in picture. Can't you sleeves. just do like a generic like uh, Xerox, like Xerox your buddies, and just do like a generic like the hardcore bands did, black and white? Yeah, that would be great. But and remember, the Buzzcocks always went. They had great design. All their records were designed really, really well. The sleeves. So the sleeve was something that you really wanted because that was uh that looked great too so anyway i'm gonna do one of my favorite buzzcock seven inches of those times uh love you more so this is love you more by the buzzcocks Thank you. 
All right. Love that song. What is it? Like a minute 30 or whatever it is. Absolutely classic, classic Buzzcocks. And, you know, just picking one song was really, was really hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, they picking had Picking one so band hard. is really hard with most of these letters. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I uh, went to see, I must have seen the Buzzcocks, what, 12 times maybe, something mm. like that. So every time they came. I saw the original lineup twice. And um, then when they reformed in 89 with the original lineup, I saw them in 89. And then I saw them every time they came through town after that. So mm. I probably at least 10 times I, mm. I, I saw Buzzcocks. So anyway. All right, buddy. So, uh, what you see? Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry to go from one classic to another. Um, I see it as The Clash. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, I, I I know we have a lot of guys that are you know in their fifties that have been listening because they're you know they've been pretty vocal with us and reaching out and stuff. So I, I'm sure you're not the only person who's seen the Clash, but I got to say nobody my generation obviously got to see the Clash. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I shouldn't say that. What they they actually split up fully split up in about eighty five ish, eighty six maybe. No, uh, earlier than that, I think like eighty two, eighty well, three. But they what what year was cut the crap? It was like eighty four, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but that really wasn't the Buzzcocks, and they were. I mean, they toured Europe at that point. Flash, but Flash. I mean, the time people would have seen them Flash, in the states. Mean, the, the the time people would have seen them in the states would probably have been eighty two when they yeah, did that rock that Us Fest. Right. Yeah, Combat Rock, and they did the Us Festival or whatever it was. So which they, would have still been cool, honestly. But yeah, they were a different band by that. They point. toured with the Rolling Stones, I believe. Right, they opened up for the Rolling Stones. Mm. Um, oh no, was it the Who? I, it was one of those two. So um, how many times did you get to see the Clash? I saw the Clash four times. And and you said blasphemously that their live shows were not that amazing. Right? They weren't. No. Uh, well, so I mean, this it. is this is sacred ground. If we're being honest here, the Clash, especially with Joe having died relatively young, the Clash are sort of, you know, the big three of punk are the Ramones, the Pistols, and the Clash. So it's you know you got to be real careful before you. <laughs> You well, know, <clears throat> okay. So anything let, bad about the Clash? Let me let me explain that. So Clash gigs were always an occasion. I mean, they were always amazing to go to. The atmosphere was always amazing. Yada yada yada. But what yeah. would happen live, oftentimes, is that Joe would get so worked up, he would start playing, and either a his guitar would be completely out of tune, or b he would get so wrapped up that he'd be playing faster than the rest of the band, mm. and so sometimes you would have no idea what song they were actually playing until they got to the chorus. I mean, and that's no joke. I That was like, like I said, I saw him four times, and I think at least two or two or three of those times, it was like that. Like, oftentimes, you'd get to the chorus before you realize what the fucking song was that they that they were mm. doing. So, uh, but I always had an amazing time at uh, at class shows. I First time I saw See, they them. Almost, it almost sounds like they might suffer from just expectations being so lofty. Yeah. That they could never... Uh you know, meet the expectation. So I saw the clash. The first time I saw them was in a place called D-Side, which is actually in Wales because they were banned from Liverpool. So I had to go just across the River D over to D-Side Leisure Center. That was January 1980, like January 2nd, 1980, something like that. Mm. So I had to get three trains and it was fucking freezing. So they um, were so they were supporting London Calling or San Anista at that, that point? That would have been London Calling. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time I saw them. Then I saw them twice in two nights. They played two nights at the Manchester Apollo in 81 when I was in college, my first year in college in Manchester. They played mm. two nights at the Apollo with Theatre of Hate supporting. That was a fan- Those were both fantastic shows. Mm. Um, 
And then, Theater Hates another one of those bands I hear a lot of old geezers talking about, but I am not at all familiar with them. So. Yeah, great great band. But uh, then the fourth time I saw them was like two years later, like 83 or something like that, maybe 84. I saw them in Bradford. Which so it was, now they're playing big places, obviously, right? They're playing arenas at this point or not? Um, it, no, it wasn't an arena. It was like an old hall. And it was mm. funny. Me, me and my friend, uh, Carl, were sitting around in the pub. So, oh, the Clash are playing in Bradford tonight. Um, and he looks at me and goes, do you want to go? And I'm like, fuck it, I have nothing else to do tonight. So we got the train over <laughs> to Liverpool. Spur of the moment. That's Seriously, funny. spur of the moment. We got the train over to Liverpool. Got a Greyhound. Boy, to be able to go see the Clash at spur of the moment. I'm sure nobody's jealous. Got the well, here's, here's what it was. We didn't have tickets either. So mm-hmm. we got the equivalent of Greyhound, which was Trailway. No, not shit. I can't remember what it was. National Express. So how far away was it? Probably a two hour bus ride. Mm. Up to Bradford, which is Boy, just out, outside of Leeds. Um okay. got there, walking around, went to the box office all they had it was it was in a one of those old theaters that has an, a lower deck and an upper deck and the only tickets oh shit this is taking me back dude um <laughs> the only tickets they had were for the upper deck so like all right all right we'll do that so we got in um the clash come on uh and there's no way of getting down to the lower deck at this point you know to the to the to the where the band is playing so we're on the upper deck and my, my mate call is just like fuck this and he starts climbing down the speaker stack <laughs> to get down to the to get down to the ground floor and i'm like well fuck i'm doing it too so i did the two climbed down the speaker stack and uh got onto the main floor and uh there was people cheering us and shit like that so that was <laughs> man the security must have been pretty light because nowadays you try to try to do that like a live nation venue they'd be clubbing you before you even step <laughs> well af- after the, after after they saw it other people tried to do it too and by that time security had wigged so they started stopping it but uh the only way that story could be better is if the speaker stack came down and fell on the crowd and you maimed several people. Well, I would probably would have died. Um, but think, but that that was the night. <laughs> you have to do it like that Titanic movie. You just wait till the very end and then jump right, yeah. where, right before it. So this was summer, so I was wearing a, I was wearing a Clash T-shirt and I was wearing my leather jacket that had the red lining. I think I told you about that before. So cool. it, it wearing was, your Clash T-shirt to a Clash show. It was so That's a talk about that another time. How stupid that rule is. But. Um, <laughs> I sweat. I the red. I sweated so much in the crowd that all the red lining, the dye from the red lining, came out, ruined my Clash T-shirt, Made your and pink. and yeah, basically, and ruined that. And then we were faced with it's ten o'clock in Bradford. There's no buses to get home. Uh, what the fuck do we do now? We weren't penniless. I don't know why the fuck we didn't get a hotel, but for some reason we slept in the bus station overnight and waited for the <laughs> five o'clock in the morning to go back to Liverpool. So. Better story that way. Yeah. So anyway, that's. Uh, I'm sorry. I took a lot of time on my. No, seas. that's an amazing yeah. story. I love that. I, yeah. I, 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 ugh. I don't. You know, it's hard for me to have an equivalent to that because, you know, being being younger, we just never. Uh, never got to see. You know, I saw the Ramones and you know I saw a bunch of bands, but I never got to see them when they were, kind of in their prime you know maybe yeah. the clash were already past their prime at that point but no that was a good that, that was that was a good one the best time I, that was the middle time in manchester though they were they were absolutely in their prime at that point because i think mm. i think that fourth time i saw them in bradford i think topper had gone and uh i think terry uh terry chimes or whatever was back behind the drum kit at that point so mm. but it was it was still good so anyway my friend what's your c sorry to have uh upped you probably there but no that's right actually you know it's funny i don't my my I don't really have a great story to go along with this, but I, I would say Cox Bar definitely. Um, great band. Some twice. Yep. Once was outdoors, of course, at Riot Fest, which you know they were still pretty good. They're they're pretty good at working a big crowd. I mean, they got their thing down, right, to a science. Cox Bar, yeah, been around since what seventy four. But but then I saw them in uh, 
boy, a place in Chicago that I don't really love. It's called the Concord. Oh, the Concord. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, they actually played with Stiff Little Fingers. Oh, great double bill. Holy shit. It was. I can't remember who the opener was. Some kind of oyish street punk band. I think we mostly missed that. But it was it, honestly, you know, other than I, I, there's no really exciting story to go along with it, like I said, but it was honestly one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I've tried to see Coxbar since. But I haven't, and I'm sort of okay with it because there's just no way it can be that good again. Well, supposedly, I know they played after uh, one of the post shows from Riot Fest uh, last year, right? And they played Reggie's. Reggie's, yeah. But um, it was one of those ones. It was like started at like, like doors were at midnight and the show was at like 1 a.m. or something. And there's just, I'm sorry, there's just no way I'm going to show at 1 a.m. There's just no way anymore, you know? Yeah. That's the old man in me talking, and supposedly it was fantastic, but that's, you know, that's great. So that let's would, put, let's, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that would mean drive, driving home at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know. Pretty much. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry, what song are you playing? Let's do uh, Take Them All. Okay. From the great uh, Shock Troops album. Yep. So their take... first, no, it's not actually their first album, but it was kind of their first widely available album, 82, I think. Yeah, it's the first real. It's the first real album, I think. I mean, they made yeah. a self-titled album, but it was only released in Spain or something. So. <laughs> Which is so fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can get it now. I mean, Pirates Press has repressed it. It's available uh, in a couple different versions. You can get it. One of them is called like the Deca Years. Yeah. And then there's one called uh, True Grit Outtakes or something like that, which is the full album, but it also has them like rapping between, like talking between songs and stuff. They left some of the weird conversations in so anyway you can get their first album now but their first you know the, the album that's recognized as their stone cold classic is shock troop i think 82 yeah shock, shock troops. troops so this so is yeah, take, take them all yeah take, take them, them all, all by cox barrow put them up against the wall and shoot them we worked our way up from east end pubs to gigs and backstage passes exboxing champs West End clubs, Americans in dark glasses Driving 10 great cars, drinking hotel bars Even making money in bed They will be no loss, they ain't worth a toss It's about time they all drop dead Take them all, take them all Pull them up against the wall and shoot them Short and tall, watch your ball Come on boys, take them all Well tough shit boys, it weren't our fault
All right. Take them all. Coxbarra. Absolutely classic. Every song we've played so far has been complete punk rock classics. Pretty this much. Is, this is like punk rock 101 for people. It's uh, Pretty much. getting some kind of introduction to the uh, to the whole thing. So, um, what's your D, my friend? Well, boy, you know, it's funny. My D, you're not going to like my D at all. I'm, I'm not going to play a song, so that'll be okay. It's going to be The Damned, isn't it? No, it's not going to be The Damned. I oh. saw that, you know, I've seen The Damned a couple times, including last year or two years ago. And yeah, that and one where I couldn't go, you son of a bitch. Still very good. The Damned are so good. I, you really, if you haven't got a chance and, and you get the opportunity, you must go see The Damned. It's shocking how good they are. Much like Coxbar. Now, I haven't seen Coxbar for probably five years, and they're only getting older. Gosh, they might be pushing 70. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, mid-60s mid probably for sure. I swear that they started playing more after they retired, like from their day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> they became more active. Uh, and the Damned are, you know, the Damned are probably mid-60s, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit older than me. They're probably at least early 60s, yeah. Captain Sensible and Dave Vania and all that. But they're still an incredible live act. But no, my, my D is actually, and like I said, Neil's not going to like this. My D is actually Danzig. Because hey, you go for it. <laughs> when, you know, Danzig was such, in the early days, and I know you're not a metalhead at all, and this is definitely more in the metal category. But in the early days when Danzig was a real band, now Danzig is just Glenn Danzig and whoever, you know. But in the early days, Danzig was a real band. They just came off Sam Hain, and they were so good. And I remember seeing them at this place in Kalamazoo, Michigan, called the State Theater. And it was this one of these old classic theaters in downtown, and it had, like, the starry sky and all the gothy Oh, yeah, I love those kind of places. Yeah, a lot of places in Chicago like that. And it was just the perfect venue, and the band was so good. And they only had three albums out at the at the time. The show I'm thinking of, and I've seen them several times over the years. They're definitely Danzig's definitely a more than ten times for me band. I saw them with Doyle do Misfits. I saw them, uh, you know, do a. I saw Sam the Sam Hain reunion. I saw a bunch of. So I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan, even though the, you know, they've probably been bad longer than they were good. If we're being honest, but. Uh, Man, seeing Danzig in that in that theater, it was just oh, it was so magical. Was, and once again, I'm not going to say life changing because I'd seen quite a few shows at that point, but it was so good. I remember which year are we little, talking? What are we talking? Maybe early '90s. Okay. Like my little my little brother was in high school, underage, and went against my parents' wishes with us. Came with us, and I know he got he got grounded. Hmm. My little brother who's like you know 42 now, 43 or something, 42 years old. But uh, yeah, it's, it was that man. That was that was such a great show. I know you like I, said, I know you're not a fan, and I, but I know a surprising amount of people who listen to us have commiserated, uh, or my punk news audience too. That man, those early dance records were so good, bluesy metal, uh, but you know, not not like super heavy metal, more like bluesy rock and roll, and just that kind of weird Elvis like crooning. No, it's, it's it, all different now. You know, they don't have the original guitar player who was an amazing had an amazing blues touch and Danzig's voice is kind of blown out. So it's just not, you know, it's just not the same anymore. But isn't he doing a, a an Elvis covers album? He or something is. I like think that? it comes out. I think it might have either just came out or it's coming out at the end of the month or something. It's called Danzig sings Elvis. And I'm, I don't know. I'm not real excited about it for being honest. Are you an Elvis fan? Um, I, I'm a modest Elvis fan. I don't listen to a ton of it. I have a little bit of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Probably the early stuff, right? Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I like I said, I'm not I'm not not a fan, but I'm not 
I guess I was drawn towards, you know, what did they say in Pulp Fiction, right? You can either are an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy. I guess at the end of the day, I'm more drawn towards the group thing. So I'm more drawn towards the Beatles than Elvis, if I had to pick. Okay, interesting. So... So anyway, yeah, Danzig, man. I, if you you've never seen Danzig, I assume. Never seen Danzig, no. Um, no, you've never actually. Never seen Lennon, any of his oh, projects. Uh, no. I mean, I've seen the Misfits, but the Misfits, I the crap Misfits. To, yeah, they were the Misfits. it was the Michael Graves Misfits was the uh, was, and then I saw him again even later than that. Which, um, which so. if we're being honest, the Michael Graves Misfits when they first started playing were surprisingly good. Yeah. Because yeah. they only had they only had one album of their own stuff, so they played all the classic Misfits songs. As they got more and more of their material, of their own material, the shows got worse. Plus, I think there might have been some legal issues that kept them from playing a lot of the old Danzig written songs. So. Well, when I saw them, they did play all those classic Misfits songs. The problem was Michael Graves didn't know some of the words. <laughs> so <laughs> That was before we had cell phones where you could just whip it out and just you know cheat, right? Never say whip it out ever again. Thank you very much. <laughs> Speaking of whipping it out, why don't you whip out a D for us? D. Yes, you. My heard me. D- now, now this is another good story because, buddy, this is the first time I met you. Because my D oh, is for okay. Dead Boys, the Dead Boys. Now, oh, you know what's funny, Neil? Because that very same day, I went and saw the Dayglo abortion. Oh my God, it's all coming together. Are all also the D's on my D, on my D list. Yeah, it's a shame you didn't do Dayglo abortions. Then this would have been you know, completely back to back nights. We could have had some real fun. Yeah. So the D's. So the Dead Boys. Um one of my most favorite old school punk rock bands of all time. I absolutely love the dead boys. Always yep. have always will. I mean, they do the intro to our show. So, um, and the, the, the picture. Yeah, exactly. Good old Stiv. Um, now I never saw the original dead boys with Stiv singing, but I did see, um, Lords of the new church with Stiv. And I actually have, he actually signed an album to me. So that's one of the prides of my collection. I got a, I got an album signed to me from Stiv on my wall. But um, I never saw the original Dead Boys. But they did, um, every now and again, they'll like reform um, Cheetah, the original guitar player, and uh, Johnny Blitz, uh, the drummer, and occasionally even Jeff Magnum, the bass player, will, will get together. So it is members of the original band. And it was, what, July 2018, I think they were playing. They were playing at... Uh, 2018? Yeah, was it, so when you saw him, was was it only Cheetah Chrome or were, was uh, Johnny Blitz playing with him? Johnny, Johnny Blitz was playing drums. Okay. So when I saw them that night um, at Beat Kitchen, which is probably my favorite venue in Chicago too, so that was a double bonus. Um, yeah, they had Cheetah Chrome playing guitar and Johnny Blitz playing drums, and then Ricky Rat, one of someone you know from Michigan, I believe, was on yep. bass. I mean, I don't know him well, but I knew. Yeah. I'm yeah, and then. And then the singer does an incredible Stiv impression, which some people love, some people hate. But if you're going to see the Dead Boys, man, you you don't want you want someone that sounds like Stiv, I would say. So, um, and the funny thing was, so at that point, Tom and I, we were like pen pals kind of thing because I'd yeah, write we into the email and yeah, yeah, I'd write into the Punk News podcast, and we got to get know each other through email. But he was coming down the same night. Which always sucks, right? When there's two good yeah. bands the same night. Uh, the Dayglo Abortions, who were negative one of his... approach was actually negative approach was headlining, and Dayglo Abortions were playing with them at Reggie's. At Reggie's, yeah. So we said, "Well, fuck, let's meet up." Even though we're going to different shows, let's meet up early. So yep. I think we met up at like four o'clock, didn't we? Someone like that. 
Um, we met up at that Scottish joint that you yep, love so much, yep, and we started hammering down beers and had some fish and chips, and yeah, it was a good time. We did. We had a great time. So that was the first time we met, and then after that, we went our separate ways, and I went to see the Dead Boys. And if they ever Big lift Kitchen. the curfew, we'll go have some fish and chips and drink some Scottish beers again. Yeah, for sure, because, God, I, I love the place. The place is called the Duke we're gonna of be, Perth. But we're going to be aching to get out of our houses once they finally, once things cool down. I think we're just going to be spending money as fast as we can. Just Damn straight. Lost time. Damn straight. So, yeah, so the if you're ever in Chicago... Uh, the bar is called the Duke of Perth. It's on Clark Street, just a bit. Uh... Dang, man! Don't tell everybody; it'll get too popular. We like <laughs> having the place to ourselves. Yeah. Well, they have they have some great Scottish beers on tap that you Actually, can't you, you know can't what? get once, anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, no, go support them. All these bars, all yep. these great bars, are going to be in trouble once you know. There's no money coming in. They're going to yep. be having a hard time. So yeah, go support your local watering holes, people. I never thought I'd miss. I only have a couple of bars in this tiny town I'm in. And I never thought I'd miss them. Like normally on a Friday night, thought of going over there is not that high on my priority list. But now it's like, oh, I can't wait to just go and meet some friends and just have a couple of crappy beers and some bad food at one of these locals. So yeah, once once it's taken away, you really miss it, don't you? You just having yep. that choice of ah, I could go to Karat tonight if I want, but yeah, I don't. I think I'll stay in. But not having the choice sucks. But anyway, yep. yeah. So I saw the Dead Boys um, at Beat Kitchen. There was probably two hundred people there, and um, I I didn't know if I didn't know what it was going to be like. But as soon as the first uh, the first chords went out of uh, you know from the first song. A sonic reducer of course um they opened with sonic they reducer. opened with sonic reducer wait talk about shooting your load right off the bat i i just i went fucking mental i mean i don't go in the pit very much anymore but i went you know how accident you are um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your bones are brittle <laughs> well and it was funny because it was an older crowd too but then it was one young dickhead uh jumping around you know because people make the circle around the around the outside of the pit right they sure. meaning they want to want to stand there in peace yeah. yes and this dickhead just kept like jumping into people and stuff so i i played police just like i used to and i got right in his face and told him to go fuck himself and stuff so which and he, he was drunk and didn't care what you had to say which, no which he did he, he kept the fuck away at that point because he, he knocked some old dude down um mm. which which was not good but anyway it was it was a great great show but of course the dead boys didn't have that many songs so it wasn't particularly long it was probably like 45 minutes 50 minutes but i absolutely loved every second of it i mean if it's more than an hour long it's not really a punk show anyway right that's true 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 so but i would say low i like the damn did play for like an hour and a half but they have so many songs you know yeah so they did uh they did all of uh they, did they probably all of, did all of they did all of Young Loud and Snotty. They and did. They probably did half of the other album. Exactly. That's exactly right. They did all, all the all the all the big songs off of uh, of the second album, and that was it. And then they were gone. And uh, I absolutely loved it. They really didn't have any merch, which was a shame because I would have liked to have supported them with some merch. All they had was that CD where they they re-recorded Young Loud and Snotty. Um, did you would, buy it? Uh, no, because it's a CD. If it'd been vinyl, I would have bought it. But they only released it on CD. So. And it's sort of, I don't know, I'm not really crazy about those full re-recordings usually. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't heard it, so I can't. I mean, really it, I mean it's okay, because Young, Loud, and Snotty didn't, the, 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 it was never particularly well produced. So getting a cleaner version of it wouldn't have been uh, bad. Oh, I but... don't know, man. It's so charming, though. Yeah, no, I, no I gotcha. I gotcha. But uh, anyway, so yeah, no merch and stuff like that. And then I, then I went home. Um, but yeah, great show, memorable, memorable show. And now I can at least say that I saw Cheetah Chrome and, uh, and Johnny Blitz and stuff. So, yeah. So how do you narrow it down to a song to play? Um, right. Well, because, 
because we play Sonic Reducer at the start of the show, yes. I'm going to play... At least until Ain't... we get a cease and desist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play Ain't It Fun by the Dead Boys. So, uh, yeah, Ain't It Fun by the Dead Boys. Oh, such a great song.
there you go. Ain't it fun? Dead boys. Absolutely fantastic. Ain't it no when you know that you're going to die young. Which actually, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a Rocket from the Tomb song originally. Was it? Um, okay. Yeah, it was. Um, they do it really slow. And so it doesn't have the same kind of punch. But uh, yeah, that, so that was probably written in like 1974 or something like that. So yeah. We, uh, I think we have a, a reasonable chance of getting a Dead Boys uh, adjacent uh, guest, so we'll uh, we'll leave it at that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, that would be so. amazing. Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. So, um, so we move on to E. Yep. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I E was E was a tough one to me. I actually on my list that I put on Facebook, I actually put Exodus, the great Bay Area thrash band, who I do love and I've seen a few times, but I actually forgot about Elvis Hitler, the great Detroit psychobilly band that uh, I've, I've always loved. A couple of their albums, Hellbilly and, oh, what was the other one? Disgraceland. Disgraceland, yeah, that was the first one I had that. It came in some weird cardboard, like almost like a cardboard box sleeve. It was very odd. Did it really? Yeah, it did. Okay. Very strange. Huh, because I don't have that version. I just had the regular version, which is like this Elvis Hitler picture. This picture of this guy who looks like a cross between, you know, Elvis Presley and Adolf Hitler. So, but I actually saw him a couple. So I saw him a couple times in the early '90s, in the same year, I think. And the first time was at this great club in Grand Rapids, which I always say was our CBGBs. It was called the Reptile House, and it was a full house. Which don't get me wrong, it was probably like 200 people, right? I mean, this is not a not a huge club, but it was so good, and people were so enthusiastic. And then they were booked at the local college, hmm. like later in the year. You know, these colleges, it's crazy. I've actually seen some pretty decent punk shows, including the Ramones, at colleges, because a lot of times they have a budget. And, yeah. you know, the bands are guaranteed. They love these gigs. It's not like these shady, you know, people who run the clubs who are, you know, putting half the cash up their nose or whatever. It's just these college kids that have these budget and book these shows. So, so later that same year, I saw them play at the local college here, which was called Grand Valley Grand Valley State University, which my two oldest kids actually both go to still. Um, and the funny thing was, there was this local band opening that was totally inappropriate. They're called like Jawbone or something, but they were just like a bad indie rock band, mm-hmm. sort of like orchestral almost, just boring as can be, right? Weird. Weird. Yeah, but yeah. you know that's that's the college booking thing, right? They don't know what they're doing, and so there was a fairly decent crowd for that, though not huge, maybe like a hundred people or something. And once they were done, everybody left. <laughs> really? So, so there were literally like twelve of us, and we all knew each other almost watching Elvis Hitler. It was sort of amazing, and it was kind of funny because at one point. <laughs> They, they played for I don't know how long, and he's just like, "Well, I believe that we have met our contractual obligations." Oh, show. Dear, and they dear. didn't play poorly. I mean, they played well. It wasn't like they yeah. were, you know, you know, they still played a good show. And it was so funny. There was nobody there, so we helped them load out afterwards. Oh, that was nice, stuff, yeah. <laughs> but it was just such a contrast. I mean, and and because that reptile house show was very well attended, packed with enthusiastic people, and then just moving venue, none of them came. You know. Yeah, that's that's very weird. I mean, granted, you know, it's, it's you know, Allendale, which is where the college is, is, you know, 20 minutes, not even, yeah, maybe 20 minutes from Grand Rapids, but it's not, you know, it was, it's not an eternity away. You'd think it would still bring in a good, a good crowd, but yeah, I always liked Elvis Hitler and I, I actually got to see him uh, a couple years ago 
over in Detroit at a, at Black Christmas, which is this amazing Christmas time concert that has generally been like Suicide Machines almost always headline, but it's it's a great thing. They have a wide variety of bands. I've seen Negative Approach and all kinds of cool bands over there, honestly. Um, but I saw them recently, and they're they're definitely looking pretty old now. It, it's it doesn't have that manic energy like they did back in the day, but it's it's still cool. Good songs. I like them. I actually did see them, and actually ties back to the Rick Sims um, interview we did with the Digits, because yeah. that was the last time I saw the Digits. Um, was mm. up in Chicago. They played Cubby Bear um, right across, across from Wrigley Field, and Elvis Elvis Hitler was the uh, opening act. So I actually did get to see Elvis Elvis Hitler too. And uh, my memory was correct when I look on Discogs here. The first release of that of the first album, Disgraceland, packaged in a handmade sleeve made from cardboard held together with sticky tape. The printed wow. labels on the front and back of the sleeve are also held in place with sticky tape. Oh. So I remember that because I had it and I actually got rid of it because it didn't. I couldn't put it in my record collection with the rest of it because <laughs> it was just this big stupid box. So I wonder if that's like an homage to like the classic Alice Cooper single "Muscle of Love" or something, which came in like a cardboard crate. If you remember that, like a cardboard. Huh. I don't no, know. They, it was probably they just wanted to just couldn't afford to get a sleeve made. Or something. Totally DIY. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So I, but I know, I know what Yuri is, and I'm actually pretty jealous that I never got to see him. And they don't play anymore, and their records are very expensive and very hard to come by. So, yeah. So my e, me my e, me again, you old bastard. My yeah, my e is Chicago's uh, one of Chicago's finest. Is the effigies. Um, Probably one of the earliest Chicago punk bands to form. Um, and, yeah, puts out some absolutely classic singles and some classic, a couple of classic albums and stuff like that. Uh, I saw them, I think I saw them twice, but the one that stands out to me was after they'd split up but then reformed in the early 90s, they played at the Fireside Bowl, which was this classic Chicago venue. It was an old, like, 1920s bowling alley which they just stuck a stage in the in the corner of the bowling alley and um and bands played and it's so classic there's there's a lot of punk rock live albums from the from the Fireside Bowl actually the whole yeah. bunch and um but remarkably yep, a lot of that that VML series that we've talked yep, about a exactly. little bit which is like a live yep. series of 7 inches yep well, yep exactly FG um, did one as a matter of fact yeah so um well, it might have been that show, I guess. It's possible because I don't know how many times they played the Fireside, but uh, that would have probably been like mid '90s. So I think it's probably after you saw them there originally. But yeah, what year? What year did you see them? It was it, it was it was early to mid '90s, so it could oh, be. Oh, could have been. Yeah, it could be that show. Um, great oh, show. Yeah. They were fantastic. They played all their all the best songs. And um, God, the Fireside for for bowling alley, you'd think the acoustics would be terrible, but the acoustics were actually fantastic. It was a great oh. place. It was a great place to see a show. Uh, low stage, probably I don't know, two feet maybe, the stage. Hmm. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can see some some great um, great uh, live videos of of bands playing the Fireside. Um, and it was an all ages venue, but there was like when you first went in on the right hand side, there was a little tiny bar area, and it absolutely stunk. Like the the uh, it, it was like the carpet had like six, like I said, it was from the 1920s, this bowling alley. So it had like 70 years of spilled beer and shit in the carpet. I don't think they'd ever cleaned it. <laughs> the bathrooms were just horrendous. Um, but it was it was one of those places you go and you you never forget it, you know. 
So um, What's wrong with that? Yeah. So uh, yeah, the effigies at uh, the effigies at the fireside bowl. I absolutely loved it, and I actually uh. d- did manage to get some effigies merchandise too, which I got an effigies mm. classic with the dragon on it, the classic effigies T-shirt. So um, mm. I still have that, even though it's pretty yellowed to this day. Okay, but, that uh, that show. Oh no, I'm sorry. It wasn't at the fireside. It was at Lounge Jacks. Oh, Chicago. Lounge Jacks. Yeah, it was a great venue. 12, long, 16, long gone. 90. Twelve sixteen ninety five. Okay, yeah, long, long gone lounge. So, what effigy song? Once again, quite a few good songs. Their first single is kind of their classic, but they had a bunch of albums, or a handful of albums. Yeah, handful of albums. Yeah, I'm gonna play the classic Body Bag. By, this is uh, their very first single, right? By the effigies. Yeah, and it's about a it was about a plane crash at O'Hare. So, yep, effigies with Body Bag. Body bag by the effigies, um, which just shows that you don't have to be playing punk rock at like a thousand miles an hour for it to be effective or challenging or disturbing. Yeah, they were definitely more like a street 
kind of had like a street punk vibe more than like the American hardcore kind of vibe that a lot they of did. Were... They had more of an oi vibe. They loved the ruts. Yeah. They loved a lot of the uh, early English stuff. And in fact, that caused uh, some chaos in Chicago because yep. like drew a lot of knuckleheads. Yeah. I, well, and I guess as well, like articles of faith who were more of a Chicago style. I mean, American style, hardcore hard. band. Um, I guess they had a big falling out because Articles of Faith were political and he thought the Apogees guys were Nazis or what. It's just ridiculous shit, right? So, but uh, yeah, we were lucky. We had the Apogees, Naked Ray Gun, Articles of Faith, you know, some uh, some great mm-hmm. bands out of Chicago. So that's my E. Um, F, you're playing, you're playing something by F, so I'll do my F first. Sure. My F was, uh, and did you ever hear of these guys? This was a New York... Um, Hardcore band called False Prophets. Did 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 you I ever hear them? Can't say I ever had the pleasure of hearing them though. Okay, I've heard of them? Yeah, they were. Um, so yeah, we we call them hardcore, even though by today's standards you wouldn't call them hardcore at all. So they weren't metallic hardcore. They were hardcore punk. Right, right. Um, all uh, they had one album on Alternative Tentacles. Um, I believe I've actually got it somewhere. I've got their album somewhere. Um, and then but before that they had one classic single which was featured the way the way i heard of them was um they had this single it was on one of those early punk uh compilations like it might have been on the peace compilation if you remember that one Mm. from 85 um so i heard this one song and loved it and actually went out and was able to buy the single so uh yeah it was a really really good single and then this was when bands were playing house house shows so Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it still happens, but, yeah, it's hard to keep in the loop when you're at our age. Yeah. Um, I assume you're the cops when you show up. And this was when I was still living in Champagne. Okay. So um, they played someone's house in Urbana, uh, and I was absolutely amazed because nobody had really heard of them. So the single I had is, was called Good uh, Good Clean Fun was, the, was mm. the seven-inch single, the one I had that I really, really liked. Um so, yeah, they played this house show in Urbana, and there was probably, like, 50 people there, because, you know, all the punks in the scene, you'd go to whatever show it was, you wouldn't care, you know, what band it was, really, even if you'd never heard of them, yep. you'd go, just because it, it was probably, like, a buck to get in or something like that, yep. so, um, yeah, um, I went, I loved the band, um, I actually... It wasn't a stage because it was just someone's front room, but I actually sang the song Good Clean Fun with them because they were just happy to see someone who knew any of their oh, songs. Oh, those were the days, man. Yep. I love that. Yep. I used to do that all the time, jump up on stage and sing the chorus or whatever. Yep. So they were just happy that someone knew one of their songs, right? Uh, and they were doing a tour and they probably slept at the guy's house, I would imagine. So, uh, oh, yeah. So after the one single, yeah, they got signed to Alternative Tent- Tentacles because they almost had they almost had like a Dead Kennedys kind of vibe to them. Mm. So uh, they put out an album in 86 on uh on alternative tentacles called false oh it was it was self-titled called false mm. prophets so uh so yeah so there was uh that's my f if you got it or now that you've talked about it you're gonna have to go to disguise and grab it no i've got it okay i've got it let's see let's see how much does this album go for oh the album's only like 20 bucks or something like that so that's not bad mm. but the single good clean fun which put out which they put out on their own label i believe um that's it's like that's like thirty bucks or something like that. If you mm. want to try and get Probably that quantity wise, not yeah. as many. Yep, I ha- yeah, I have it though, so that's good. Anyway, so, so we're gonna we're gonna go from F. obscure to like one of the bigger punk bands because I was so happy to be able to see them. I wish I could see them again, but I'm gonna say Fear for F. 
And now, I, have you ever seen I, Fear? No, and I just want to jump in on that. You say you want to see him again. Um, the reports yeah, I, I had, yeah, they played Rebellion last year, and everybody that was there said that Fear were the worst band that played at Rebellion last year. So Yeah, it's a bunch of British people that hate all American things, though. <laughs> Yeah, not really. And you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that. Well, but I, I see Lee Ving, and he looks like—I mean, I, I swear he could pass for like Jimmy Page now. Yeah. Oh, he does. Okay. He's, He's kind of got that hair. wavy old man haircut. You know, not long, but I—I don't. I, I, but I just, you know, and the thing with Fear, and I know I don't think you're as big a Fear fan as I am. No, sir. But I—I I love the record so much. That first album, their first album is called The Record. Yep. Um, and they pretty much made a career, or Lee Ving, the singer-guitar player, has made a career from that one album because they really – the follow-up was called More Beer, which was okay. And then they had another one called Have Another Beer with Fear. And they've had a few other albums. More Beer is probably the second best. That was probably mid-later – mid-late or later 80s. But that first record is so good, and I still love it to this day. So there was a club in, in Grand Rapids, a real short-lived club. I think it was called the subculture and I couldn't remember, but I ran into a fellow old man punk who I knew was there a, a while back and, and asked him about it. And it was like, you know, in the nineties, in the early nineties, there were still these clubs where these bands would play all weekend and they were just like cover bands. Hmm. And I can't remember what the name of the, you know, and they play like poison songs or whatever. Right. And I don't remember what the name of the club was originally, but you know, in the nineties, the alternative revolution or whatever took over so one of those clubs folded up and it became like uh, uh, they tried to make it into a punk club for a little bit. And it was so gaudy, you know, it, it just looked like a rock and roll club, just big, heavy velvet curtains and just, it was, yeah, yeah. you know, all, all holdovers from those other too, days. Totally yeah. inappropriate. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they tried booking punk shows there for a while and they booked fear. And I remember, really remember it well, actually, for a couple of reasons. A, I wasn't not drinking at all. It was the year was 1999. And we were expecting our first child. Um, my oldest son was born in May of 99. So I was at this show and I was not drinking. So I have a level of clarity that I don't have a lot of shows. <laughs> but the opening band was a friend of mine's band called the Bad Cox. They're from Muskegon. And it's so funny because he was like the young guy in the band of old guys. And I'm like, those old guys are younger than I am now. <laughs> yeah, know? no shit. Right. <laughs> Looking back. So this is just like 21 years ago or whatever. And, uh, the other opening band was a Boston hardcore band called Blood for Blood, who's really pretty good. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, them. Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, they're heavy though. They're yeah, good. Yeah, heavy. Yep. But I, uh, but Blood for Blood comes on and they play like they open with this like long kind of marching, slow thing to get going, and then they start their first like fast like angry hardcore song, and the guitar player does a spin and catches the head of his Les Paul on the microphone stand and breaks the head off his guitar. <laughs> oh God. And so they played for like 10 minutes and that was it. Mm. That was the opening band, right? And uh, so I ran into my friend Danny, whose band opened that show. I just saw him like last year at a Madball show. And we were talking about that show and just, you know, reminiscing as as geezers do when they get together. And he told me, added a funny story to me. He told me the guy tried to borrow his guitar afterward because he always played an SG, Gibson SG. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I wasn't giving that guy my guitar after I saw him do that. So my friend Danny could have kept the show going if he would have gave him his guitar, but but he didn't. So yeah, Blood for Blood got to play for ten minutes and quit. Well, how the fuck did he snap his the, the head stuck? I don't his... know. He just he he was spin he spun around. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's a solid just, it's just a solid the, piece of wood. Yeah, it was amazing, dude. I mean, I was right there. This was not a big place. I mean, we all saw it. Jesus. Um. So yeah, that was my only time seeing Blood for Blood, who's no longer around, and. And uh, 
My only time seeing fear. Oh, I forgot to add the funniest thing of it to put it in time. Right. So I didn't have a cell phone yet. I don't know when I got my first cell phone. Maybe I don't know, early two thousands. Right. I'm, I'm not a real technology adapter. You know, I had a flip phone until like four years ago. Um, but I had a beeper. Jesus. You remember, you remember yes, beepers? I do. So, I do so remember I had a beepers for yes. my job. So that was like if my wife went into labor, so that she would have to beep. <laughs> call, me on my, call me on my beeper, dude. That's the only time that I have ever had a beeper. Was exactly when when uh, yeah when when Laura was in uh, was in okay. labor and uh, I well, had a beeper. Well, this, this was Lydia. a work thing, and eventually they did upgrade us to like those giant yellow like cell phone. Uh, we had Nextels. If you remember Nextels, where you I, had, I had a Nextel as well. I yeah, love the Nextel. giant fucking. I tell you, you those could, were so great for work. You could kill somebody with one of those things. Except for with your buddy, when your buddy would would click you and then not wait for you to answer and then start cursing when you're like in a public. <laughs> yeah. Place. Yep. Walkie talkie. Yep. Well, I'm I'm afraid. I mean, I don't know how many really young listeners we have. If if we do, they probably are lost in this conversation. But those of us who worked, you know, were working in the you know, mid to late nineties, the next deal, everybody had next deal. So yep. anyway, so yeah, so, so yeah, so the opening band played, uh, like half hour, 45 minutes. They were local. Right. And then blood for blood played for 10 minutes, maybe. And then eventually fear comes on and they were quite good. I thought, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but they played for like 35 minutes. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Did something I mean, happen? Did something happen? Like or or if that was their normal set or what but so i mean i'm talking i i pretty much missed the first opener because they played really early so i literally heard like 45 minutes of music was was uh was something the matter with leaving was he sick or something i don't think so huh. i think that was just their and you know i mean i mean i mean i didn't time this thing but i swear that it was just such a short set just so yeah that was my only time seeing <laughs> seeing fear and it was an interesting show, and I enjoyed it. And I knew so many people who were at the show. You know, this it was still a pretty good. I was still pretty connected with the local scene. I hadn't once my son was born. I kind of, you know, extracted myself yeah. for the most. Part. Of course, but, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was it was fun. It was cool. I, I I was glad I got to see him. And like I said, I'd like to see him again. But once again, yeah, I, I've been hearing actually. There's a couple of bands that are still kicking around that I hear bad things about their live show. And Fear is one of them. Another one is Reagan Youth. Well, I really like their early stuff, but I heard they're just awful live. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that was fierce. Let's let's do a fear song. I wonder if we might have to cut it off here. How many songs have we played so far? Have we had, well, this I think this, this will be the be six, a, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's our show, man. So no, we got no rules. But I, I haven't had lunch yet. I'm starving. <laughs> but no, we could we can we'll keep do, pushing. We'll, well, I was gonna say that would, get a, that would get us a quarter of the way through our list. Yeah, we'll do two more bands. How's that after this All one? All right, fine. Freaking slave driver. Um, so, so fear. Oh, what song are you gonna play? Oh man, anything off the first album is so good. But let's do. Uh, I don't care about you. I don't care about you. That's the one we picked out ahead of time. That's right. Because I was all of a sudden going, "Let's start a war." What did I pick? But yeah, no. Let's do. Yeah, I don't care about you. Such a great song.
So there you go. I don't care about you by by fear. Um, just looking at the Discogs page, man, I had no idea. The first single, guess when it came out? 78 or something, right? It's 78, yeah, fucking that was good. I Love Living in the City came out in 78. 82 or something. And get this, the highest it sold for, because there's none available. Yeah. Guess what the highest it sold for. I mean, it's like a thousand bucks. Fourteen hundred. Wow. Fourteen hundred dollars, yeah. For uh, I love living in the city. I love living in the city, like that. It's a great song. That was actually my first choice, but I don't care about. I actually like. I don't care about you better. But yeah. I love living in the city. Is one of those punk rock one one songs too. You yeah. know, it's like everybody knows the song. It's been covered a hundred times. So um, and, I still and, see bands covering it regularly. And if anybody out there doesn't know any much about Fear, either watch them on Decline of Western Civilization, watch the Fear uh, set there, or watch the infamous Saturday Night Saturday Night Live oh, when they great. had when they had Fear and they basically wrecked the stage and got banned. One of the few bands to ever get banned from Saturday Night Live. They were friends with John Belushi. John Belushi was a punk rocker involved with that LA scene in the early '80s, and uh, yeah, John Belushi got them on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's you can find it on YouTube and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to G. So I'm going to go to G, and I'm going to really irritate you, but I'm not <laughs> going to play the song. You're going to play the song, so yep. you'll have to live with yourself. That's fine. So in early 1992, no, you are a... playing. You are playing the song. This is your song, buddy. So I'm going to do G first. You're going to do yes. Am I doing G? Okay, I thought you were doing G. Okay, no, yeah. you're no, you're you're doing G. So my G is Gang of Four. Um. Okay. So I actually only saw the Gang of Four once, and and that's fine because um, I liked their earlier um, punky style, post-punk style rather than the funky stuff they started to get into later on, so that's fine. I saw them uh, my first year at college in Manchester in 1981. They played, I think they played You Missed or some smaller venue. There was probably only about 300 people there. And it was right either before or after the second album came out. So they played most of entertainment and then they played most of the songs on the second album. And um, they were fantastic. I'd never seen anybody playing guitar like uh, like like him, like Andy Gill. Um, Those jagged, like he, he doesn't like play he doesn't no, play, plays like play, a rhythm, like he's in the yeah, room. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't yeah. play a melody so much. He just plays a rhythm and just like beats the fuck out of that Telecaster, right? Um, just really interesting sound. And then John Gate, the singer, was just like banging bits of metal together and shit like that. And it was just a really, really interesting, fun show. And it was like, like a Tuesday night in Manchester. And we walked there, I think, and then walked back to the dorms on Oxford Road. It was just a really cool night. I had a really good time, and uh, mm-hmm. I love those first two Gang of Four albums. The first one, Entertainment, is almost untouchable. That is such a fantastic record from front to back. So, mm. and of course, we talked about that when Andy Gill died yep. either earlier this year or late last year. I can't remember. Yeah, so we're almost, um, we're, we're twenty-seven episodes in at this point. It's yep. getting hard. I'm sure we're repeating ourselves. So bear with us, people. Bear yeah. with us. So that's my G. So that was that was pretty fast, right? So now you oh, do your G. G. You're going to hate my G. I mean, you're going to hate my G so much <laughs> that you're going to complain about it. Uh, and then I'm going to play a song by a different band. How about that? Um, so in 1992, there was the hugest tour of all time. One of the hugest tours of all time was announced, and it was Guns hey, hold, N' Roses. Hold on a second. Time out a second. Guns you've, and Roses. You've changed us up on me, haven't you? You've changed us up on I'm me. I'm not going to play a song by one of these bands because I don't want to. But I'm gonna, all right. But I, my G is Guns N' Roses. Okay, man. I say it's all good. So in like it was like on a Tuesday night, and it was at the Pontiac Silverdome, which was this monstrous venue that held somewhere around eighty thousand people. 
and I don't think it was sold out. So I don't think it was 80,000 people there, but that's where the lions it, used to play, right? Yes. Yeah. WrestleMania three was there. Yep, they said, yep, they said a yep. hundred, hundred thousand people Andre or something. Giant, yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan match back yep. when I actually cared about wrestling yep. about 35 years ago. Um, so it was like on a Tuesday night, but it was just too huge. And and the ticket price was like $30, which at the time was a huge amount of money. Right. But yeah, it was 1992. So myself and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and my friend Scott, who you've met, and mm-hmm. my other buddy Rich, who I don't really see much anymore, unfortunately, headed down to Detroit on a Tuesday night to see this show. And it was a madhouse, Neil. I mean, I don't know if you've been, have you ever been to a show that big? Be uh, like a football stadium show? Oh, God, no, no. Because, I mean, I've seen a few like that over no. the years. You know, I saw Pink Floyd at the Pontiac Silverdome. I saw a few shows there. I mean, so, what are, so what are we talking? The normal like, hockey rink's only like 20,000. This place was enormous. Like so it's we, a football stadium. Are we talking like 40,000 people? Yeah, I think I think north of 50. Jesus Christ. Well, you got to remember, Guns N' Roses was at the top of the world. Oh, yeah. No shit. Eight. Yeah. But I just can't imagine being at a gig with that many people. Holy shit. Well, and yeah, and we, we didn't have horrible seats, but we were half a mile away. You know, we were a long ways away. No question. Yeah, yeah. The opening band was a great band that I love to this day called Faith No More, but they seemed so swamped by this. Yeah. By this huge, huge crowd. But, you know, so Metallica came out and did their thing. And Metallica, I know you're not a fan, but they were just one of the best live bands at that time. They played like two hours, 15 minutes, which is a short set for them. They usually do two and a half hours, 2.45. But they were so good. And then the wait began. (laughs) And the wait, because this was Guns N' Roses at their narcissistic prime, right? Oh, boy, yeah. So it's taking forever. So what happens is the camera crew, you know, it's fully being documented and all that. This show is actually notorious, like like one of the most notorious shows on this tour for a couple different reasons. But so the camera starts going around to the crowd. And so the girls will accommodate the cameraman by Lifting taking their the shirts. Up. Yes. And they were putting it up on the big screen. <laughs> and this just went on for like, I want to say close to two hours. Holy crap. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I was a, I was all of 19 at the time. It was like a dream. I, it was the only time in my life I ever got sick of looking at boobs, Neil. Yeah, Because no. it went on for so long. Two hours? Oh, I mean, on. it was unbelievable, right? I mean, the crowd was restless, but it was just... And so eventually Guns N' Roses comes out, and they start playing, and it's fine. But I think it's pushing midnight at this point. Or something. I can't remember. It was getting super late. And then Axel throws some kind of a fit. Storms off the stage. And then, like, you know, Slash comes out and apologizes or something, and eventually they get him back out like a half hour later. Bottom line is, we didn't even stay for the whole show. We pulled in to drop my buddy Scott off at 5 o'clock in the morning. Oh, we're about a a three-hour drive from Detroit, close to it. And he goes and gets in the shower and goes to work. And it's one of those shows, it certainly wasn't the best show I've ever seen, but it's such a fond memory to this day. It was so, it was, it was, it had a real electricity to it. Well, is it a fond memory or is it like a bad memory? Because that sounds like a nightmare. Waiting for two you know, hours it, and then the band no, comes it's on. it's a fond memory. I mean, at the, yeah. it, and even at the time, it didn't feel like a nightmare. It just felt so, it was so exciting, dude, hmm. honestly. So yeah, Guns N' Roses is actually my G, but I'm not going to play a Guns N' Roses song. I'm actually going to play a Gangrene song. I did see Gangrene once. I love Gangrene, but I, the show I went and saw was actually really cool, but it was pretty standard you know mm-hmm. they were actually at a little tiny little punk festival thing so 
So let's play Gangrene, another wasted night. That's actually kind of appropriate when you, after the Guns N' Roses story, isn't it? It is. Yep. Another wasted night, Gangrene. This is from their classic album of the same name from, I think, 86 or so. Gangrene there with another wasted night. Even though we talked for ages about Guns N' Roses, but yes. we got Gangrene instead. So don't hate go. the player, Neil. Hate the game. But you have seen Gangrene, right? Yes. Okay. All right. I love and I love him. And I was actually gonna go see him again down in Indianapolis, but then Chris Doherty had a stroke. Hmm. I don't know where they're at. I don't know if he's. I don't know where he's at actually, honestly. So or as far as recovery or anything, guy could play guitar like a mother. So. So we are, we are two H's. Yep. What's your age, buddy? So that's me, right? So yep. I, man, I'm str- I'm struggling with this one a little bit because I, I I have a few, but none of them are really that much in the punk realm. Um, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go with Helmet, and it's actually gonna be kind of strange because they were in this case they were the opening act. So one of the best shows I've ever seen. And, and once again, I'm going to flash back to the Guns N' Roses thing, I guess, because it was later that same year I saw Faith No More headline at a little club over here. It was called Club Eastbrook. Um, hold, held like 1,500 or whatever. Faith No More was really starting to surge at the time. And their opening act was Helmet, who had just put out their, uh, what the heck was the name of that record? Meantime album, which was by far their best album. 
and and I there was an opener too. I think maybe Orange Nine Millimeter or something. I can't remember, but it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. It really was. It was so crowded in there that, and I was I'm not a small guy. Even then, I was 200 pounds, you know. But the crowd was so densely packed in that there were times where I was off my feet. Oh. Shit. Like cattle, where my feet weren't on the ground, and it was so great. Now I'd be annoyed if I went to a show like that. Now I probably would never do it. Or I'd stand in the back or something. But yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say Helmet. Like I said, I know that doesn't really fit into the punk realm, and we're not gonna play a song or anything. But they were a powerful band back in the day when they were a real band. But now, unfortunately, it's the same situation as a lot of these bands. It's the main guy and some other guys. You know, are they the ones that had some like some weird ass video on MTV? I, mean, I can remember what was that show that used to be on like. Friday nights that Ricky Rackman introduced oh, or whatever. Or yeah, Headbangers Ball. Did they have like some some weird video with like a clay guy or something whose head fell off? I don't know. I think remember. that may be Tool you're thinking of. I don't. Oh I don't yeah, remember. I think you're right. That was yeah, I think you're right. Oh, okay. Tools from Grand Rapids actually. Well, anyway, but no, the the thing with um, helmets like early records were on Amphetamine Noise, a great like indie label out of Chicago. Oh, I think Chicago. Okay, it was Minneapolis. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, that was that was my age. I don't I don't have a great like I said. I never saw Husker do. That would be my dream age, but they were done before I was old enough to go see a punk show. So, so what? I bet you got a better age than I do, don't you, you bastard? Uh, my age isn't great. My um, no. you know, they're okay. Uh, my age Harry is eight. You saw Harry Carey walking around Chicago. <laughs> <one thing. laughs> yeah, yeah. Knocked his glasses off. Yeah. Um, no, my age is H two O. You know the the. Well, uh, they had some great eras, but they also had some really yeah. Great... Yeah. yeah. Where'd just, you see them? Um, I've seen them a few times. Um, but the one that stands out, I saw them at Metro. Okay. So and opening were they up. Headlining? Uh, yeah, they were headlining. Opening up was Ignite, and Ignite are great too. Okay. Yep. In fact, Ignite are my eye band uh, from a different Ignite now, show because I've seen. Is the Ignite's the that's the singer from that band was the guy who was in Pennywise for that one album, right? Yeah, for that one album, yeah, which is my the only Pennywise album I like. Was Ignite foreign? Um, he, he is, he, and that's the story I'll tell when we get to the eyes. Okay. That's the story right, I'll tell. I, I want to jump ahead because we, yeah. once again, have been at this for a long yep. time. Yeah, we have. And we're going to be pushing two hours and we made it a third of the way through the alphabet. I tried to stop at a quarter of the way. Let it be marked that I tried to stop a quarter of the way through, but my slave driving British friend would not let us stop. Well, yeah, there we go. Anyway, H2O, um, with Ignite at the Metro. Um, at the time, this was mid nineties probably. And... I was trying to find new bands to like and um, at work. That's uh, a bad time to start liking H2O. Well, this 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 young hardcore guy started started at work, and um, I said, you know, what are some of the bands that you're listening to? So he introduced me to like H2O, you know, straight edge hardcore band from New York, and yep. Ignite. He introduced me to a lot of decent stuff actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey Adam, if you're listening. Uh, don't eat those pies. Um, but anyway, yeah, so he introduced me to H2O, and I got really into them for a while. Um, you know, the, the uh, was it Faster Than the World, FTTW, and the first three albums were were, were decent. So, well, in the uh, 2000s, they got back to their sound, too, if we're being honest. Like, yeah. 10 years ago, like they like that nothing to nothing to lose album was pretty good. I mean, they had some they they they've recovered. They just did that thing where they signed to a major and then made some kind of crappy records and yeah. They and they when were... that didn't work out, they went back to their punk roots because punks will always let you back. Yeah, if, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, yeah, it was a good show because I enjoyed Ignite and H two O were really good live too. And you know, they had I bought a T shirt and stuff. They had a really good logo and that kind of thing, right? They had a whole the whole thing going. They're just one Big of those, crowd? huh? Big crowd or no? 
Um, you know, Metro, yeah, like four or five hundred. You know, the thing with Metro is it feels okay with four or five hundred, but they can cram like eleven hundred in there. Yeah, well, they took out the upstairs as well, so yeah. it's it's kind of a misleading eleven hundred. Yeah, but uh, you know, like straight edge band. I'm the only guy there drinking, probably. You know, getting the people giving me the evil eye and shit. But what what are you gonna do? Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good show. Um, the one thing that annoys me about H2O is they're one of those New York bands that all they ever talk about is being from fucking New York. You know, that's pretty much every New York hardcore band. Just know? oh, I remember back in the day hanging out alleyway crew, hanging yeah. out with Token Entry and Jerry Only's my Godfather. Blah blah blah. It's <laughs> so you know, just get off it, all right? You know, but anyway, so that so that was song, my, what song are you playing? Um, I'm gonna play Bootstraps, which is gonna be fast. It's uh, geez, what album is that off of? It's one of it's off of one of the early ones. I know that. Um. But yeah, I really like I really like the you know they're one of those super positive bands, um, just like you. Just yeah, just the opposite of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is I think it's is it off Thicker Than Water, which is a second album. It's uh, oh, it's maybe it is off Faster Than the World. Anyway, yeah, it's off Faster Than the World, the third album. So anyway, this is Bootstraps by H uh, Two O. I got your bootstraps up for you, but won't think twice. And you can take it as advice We've got to help each other out Cause that's what this is all about And now the fuck can we forget How we got here today No way Now is the time to make it clear That we would not have made it here Without the ones who pulled us up And taught us how to make it work And if you ever get the chance To change somebody's circumstance I hope you know what you should do Take it as advice, we've got to help each other out Cause this is how we all survive And we're never gonna stay alive without each other There's no way No way Alright There you go Bootstraps by H2O, and of course they were called H2O because they're straight edge. They don't drink. All they drink mm, is water, apparently. Nice water. All they drink is H2O. So that's uh... so. So my laptop has informed me that I'm running very low on battery here, and I could die at any second. So all right, man, we're, we're done. We're done with the H2O. We're actually gonna wrap this up, through. but we will be back to you real soon. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a bonus. There's gonna be a should be two of them this week to keep you entertained while you're trapped at your home and your wife's putting you to work at various chores or whatever. So. uh Anyway, yeah, Punk Till I Die podcast at Facebook, of course, and Punk Till I Die 77 at gmail.com. Uh, hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're, I, I, I've actually really enjoyed this little walk down memory lane. And, you know, when we first wanted to get this thing going, that was definitely, you know, we'd hope to tell some stories. And yep. I know Neil uh, loves to hear my Guns N' Roses stories. So. Well, because we can't go to gigs anymore, so we might as well yeah, exactly. remember gigs that we did go to, right? You know? Remember America. Yep. So anyway, yeah. Hey, everybody, be safe. Like I said, we can't afford to lose any listeners. Be safe, and we will. Uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. Yep. Stay free. See y'all. See y'all on the flip side. Bye bye.